Hello folks, welcome to another SACPA session. SACPA acknowledges that this event takes place on the lands of the Blackfoot people in the Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. And we would pay respect to their past, present and future cultural heritage, beliefs and relationship to the land. SACPA is very thankful for the continuing support we receive from the University of Lethbridge Shaw Spotlight and the Lethbridge Herald. Today, we're very happy to welcome uh, Dr. Duane Brett. Thank you for joining us today, Duane. Duane is a political scientist or political science professor in the Department of Economics, Justice and Policy Studies at Mount Royal University in Calgary, Alberta. He was educated at the universities of Windsor and Alberta, where he did his PhD. He teaches in the area of international relations and Canadian public policy. His primary research interest is in the area of Canadian nuclear policy. Dwayne, thank you so much for joining us, and we very much look forward to your presentation. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here uh, this afternoon uh, speaking to uh, SACPA. So I was asked to talk about Alberta politics and the uh, UCP leadership review and now leadership race. And at the current moment, there are four people who have decided to uh, run for the leadership. Uh, Brian Jean uh, and Daniel Smith, who had announced well before the review was even concluded. Uh, Travis Taves, the uh, finance minister, uh, has put his hat in the ring, and Todd Lowen, um, who was a member of the UCP caucus and was expelled and is currently an independent member, is also running. Uh, this morning, uh, Premier Kenny announced that Jason Nixon is going to be the interim uh, minister of finance. That tells us then that the Jason Nixon is not running for the leadership. Likewise, Doug Schweitzer, uh, the Minister of uh, Jobs uh, and Economy, um, also announced that he was not running for the leadership and, in fact, is not running for re-election. There remain a handful of other individuals who are kicking the tires about whether to run. Uh, former uh, Minister Leela Ahir, uh, current Minister Rajan Sani, uh, Michelle Rempel-Garner, a Conservative MP, uh, Drew Barnes, who, like Todd Lowen, was expelled uh, from the caucus, they're all considering whether to, to run. So it's been an eventful couple of weeks, uh, going right back to May 18th, when Jason Kenney received 51.4% uh, of the vote. And despite saying that as long as he got 50% plus one, he would remain as Premier, he announced his intention of resigning. And that led to a caucus meeting where caucus agreed that he would remain as premier and leader until a replacement was chosen, not doing uh, an interim leader like when Alison Redford stepped down and Dave Hancock became premier uh, before Jim Prentice won the, the leadership. Um, he announced that he was not going to run for the leadership on his radio show a couple days later. And then this week did his first press conference 
where he said he really has no regrets. He did nothing wrong. It was a small minority of members who were not really members of the party, just signed up, who were anti-vaxxers and conspiracy theorists. So it was a, a sign again that, that Jason Kenney um, believes he did nothing wrong, uh, that he should not have been removed as uh, leader. Uh, this has caused more turmoil within the UCP. So how do we explain this story? Uh, because it, it is a really dramatic rise and fall. When you think about Jason Kenney, he comes into Alberta politics after a strong track record as a federal cabinet minister, as a key lieutenant in the Stephen Harper government, comes in, wins the PC leadership, uh, helps to merge Wild Rose and the PC party into the United Conservative Party, wins the leadership of the United Conservative Party, wins a majority government, and doesn't even fulfill his first term in office. It's a, really almost a Shakespearean tale of, of rising and falling. So how do we explain this? Well, thankfully, I've got a way of trying to explain this. Um, and so if you want to put the first slide up, Annalise, Okay, so this is a forthcoming book that I'm editing, uh, The Blue Storm, The Rise and Fall of Jason Kenney. I will say that the subtitle was changed after May 18th. Originally, it was Blue Storm, The Politics of the Jason Kenney Government, but now the story is The, the Rise and Fall. Uh, that manuscript has now been submitted to the University of Calgary Press, and it will be out in uh, January of 2023. Uh, academic publishing timelines are, are quite long, um, so it will be available for several months prior to the expected May 2023 provincial election. To get a sense of uh, what is being covered and who the contributors are, if you wanna show the next slide, this is, uh, as it shows some of the top academic uh, political observers <coughs> here in Alberta. The editorial group and some of the contributors are from Mount Royal University, but you'll also see people like Lisa Young, Trevor Toome, um, David Stewart um, from the University of Calgary, Jared Wesley, Roger Epp from the University of Alberta. There's a couple journalists in there, um, Graham Thompson, for example, Jillian Stewart. So. Uh, it covers a lot of territory, and this is the second book, uh, a sequel of sorts to the Orange Chinook book that I previously spoke to Sackpaw about, which was about the 2015 provincial election and the first three years of the Notley government. So, as I mentioned, you know, we've got the rise. When Jason Kenney drove his blue Dodge Ram pickup truck into the Big Four building in Calgary, on election night in April 19th, uh, April of 2019. He was celebrating a landslide victory and a way of bringing Alberta back to what he called normal. After two years of campaigning to win the leadership of the PC party, merging them into the UCP, winning the UCP leadership, and then defeating Rachel Notley's NDP government, Kenny, on that night, seemed poised to join the likes of Manning and Lougheed and Klein in the pantheon of long-serving Alberta Conservative premiers. Instead, only three years later, Kenny stood in front of a much smaller group of supporters to announce he would step down as party leader after receiving only 
4% yes in the May 18, 2022 UCP leadership review. So the book tells the rise and fall story of the Kennedy government's ambitious plans to return to true conservatism reminiscent of the early Klein years of the 1990s and how these plans were received. It examines the Kenny government's efforts to will the province out of its sense of decline by taking on national and international forces calling for a shift away from fossil fuels. It traces the way in which COVID-19 laid bare the internal tensions within the United Conservative Party and enumerates the tragic consequences of the government's inability to manage the situation. Just as Jason Kenney was the center of attention on election night in 2019, he remains the central and increasingly controversial figure in the government his party formed. Through many of the chapters, the book tells the story of hubris, excessive pride and self-confidence that left Jason Kenney resigning before finishing his first term. So in, as I mentioned, the Orange Chinook uh, that was released in 2019, uh, we felt that the, the election of the NDP and a Premier Notley was such a notable event that it needed to be documented in a major academic study. The, the NDP placed the 44-year PC political dynasty, but represented a dramatic ideological turn for a historically dominant conservative province. The Orange Chinook explained in multiple chapters the breakthrough election victory, but also examined the first three years of the Notley government. The Notley years saw the creation of the Climate Leadership Plan, fights over pipelines, changes to the tax structure, uh, reforms to party financing, an ill-fated farm bill, and a host of other changes to Alberta's political and cultural system. The 2019 election, which saw the NDP lose to the new UCP, was initially seen as the second half of the same story. So if 2015 to 2019 was a dramatic shift away from conservatism, 2019 was the backlash and the restoration of conservative rule under the leadership of UCP Premier Jason Kenney. I was at uh, the Big Four building on election night. I was working for Global TV at the time. And in speaking to numerous UCP staffers at the end of the evening, they promised a return to Alberta conservatism. And they weren't just talking about replacing the NDP. They were also referring to previous PC governments, Ed Stelmack, Alison Redford, even Jim Prentice, that they felt were insufficiently conservative. In other words, they promised a return to the conservatism of Ralph Klein of the 1990s. Uh, the UCP promised uh, a number of campaign promises that sought to reverse many NDP policies, reclaim the glory days of oil and gas prosperity, cut back on the size of the uh, public sector, and institute more conservative social policies. This book had orange, the NDP's color in the title, so we wanted blue, the UCP's color in the title of the second book. Within a year of the election, we realized that Blue Storm would be an appropriate title. Uh, this is because by March of 2020, the UCP's carefully crafted agenda was sideswiped by the arrival of the COVID-19 storm. This unprecedented health pandemic also had far-reaching economic consequences and social dislocation. 
the Kenny government had to reorient its scheduled agenda to address COVID-19. However, in other respects, they decided to persevere with their agenda, sometimes to disastrous consequences in the middle of COVID-19. And so this book analyzes the UCP agenda, for example, fighting back on behalf of the oil and gas sector against environmental groups, other Canadian provinces, the Trudeau government, the Biden administration, attempting to cut public sector wages, most notably doctors and nurses, confronting the federal government on almost every file, and trying to reimpose more conservative values through, for example, the school curriculum. This was all being done in the context of a health pandemic of COVID-19. But COVID-19 was not the only storm facing Jason Kenney and the, ND and the UCP government. They also confronted substantial political turmoil. Prominent Alberta pollster and political commentator Janet Brown regularly says that a premier has three main audiences, the public, the party caucus, and party donors. On all three indicators, there were storm clouds that swirled around Kenny, leading to his res resignation. As Brooks DeCilia shows in his chapter, the NDP passed the UCP in public opinion polls in June of 2020, but because of the vagaries of seat distribution in Alberta, they weren't in a position to form a majority government until March of 2021. Today, if an election was held, the NDP would form a majority government. Kenny's approval rating is the lowest of any Canadian premier and is stuck in the high 20%, which is the lowest of any Alberta premier since days before Alison Redford resigned. When it comes to caucus, as David Stewart and Anthony Sayers describe in their chapter, two former MLA critics of Kenny were expelled from caucus. Todd Lowen, who's now running for the leadership, and Drew Barnes, who may run for the leadership. Other MLAs were demoted from cabinet, such as Leela here, who may also be running for the leadership of the party. And other MLAs were openly critical of Kenny's leadership. I can tell you, this is not common in Canadian or Alberta politics, where members of the government party are calling on their leader and premier to resign, and they stay in caucus. Uh, adding to Kenny's woes, obviously, was the reemergence of Brian Jean, the former Wild Rose leader and failed 2017 UCP leadership candidate. Um, there remain serious allegations also around that 2017 leadership race and how fair it was. We know that Jeff Calloway was recruited as a kamikaze candidate by Jason Kenney to attack Brian Jean. And we know that there is an ongoing RCMP investigation into pin numbers and voting kiosks that go back to 2017. So Brian Jean has an ax to grind with Jason Kenney. Back in March of 2022, Jean was elected as a UCP MLA in a by-election in Fort McMurray, Lac La Biche, Jean's old riding, on an explicit platform of Kenney resigning as UCP leader. Again, it's important to mention just how unprecedented this is. The third audience are UCP donors, and they also appear to be abandoning the party. Even in the era of more strict party financing rules, governing parties usually have a huge fundraising advantage. 
In addition, conservative parties usually have a huge fundraising advantage over progressive parties. So you would think the UCP would be leading in fundraising over the NDP, and that's not the case. The NDP has raised several million dollars uh, more than the UCP. Uh, so just an illustration, in 2020, the NDP raised uh, 1.3 million more than the UCP. In 2021, they raised uh, about $2.5 million more. And currently, um, they're, they're a couple hundred thousand ahead. This has allowed the NDP to start running election ads a year before the election. So I just want to give then, uh, so that sets the, the scene. Um, what's the organization of the book? Uh, the first three chapters revisit the 2019 election. Uh, the formal campaign was only 28 days, but in reality, the 2019 campaign really began when Jason Kenney won the UCP leadership on October 28, 2017. It was a battle between two parties, two very different ideologies, and two very powerful po politicians. Uh, Rachel Notley, as I said, was the incumbent premier being challenged by Jason Kenney. Uh, Jason Kenney ran on a slogan of jobs, economy, pipelines, and fixated on ending the economic recession that dogged Notley throughout her time as premier. Um, I will say that uh, Jason Kenney frequently referenced making Rachel Notley one and done. Uh, and in fact, throughout his time as premier, kept referring to Notley as being one and done. That looks ironic now because Jason Kenney won't fulfill his entire term. So he's about 0 0.7 and done. Uh, Graham Thompson, who writes the chapter on 2019 election, concludes by saying, Kenney was about to discover that winning the election was the easy part governing would prove to be much more difficult. And then there's a couple other chapters dealing with uh, different aspects of the 2019 election as well. The second section is a look inside the UCP. Um, and this is fleshed out by David Stewart and Anthony Sayers, two scholars from the University of Calgary, who write about the divisions within the UCP. Stewart and Sayers argue that COVID-19 did not create the divisions within the UCP. Instead, it amplified existing tensions of a party that only a few years before had been two separate and warring parties, the Progressive Conservatives and Wild Rose parties. And the methodology that Stewart and Sayers use are surveys of party supporters in 2015 and of 2019, and an analysis of party activists at the 2020 UCP policy convention that demonstrate there are significant internal policy divisions within the UCP that go well beyond COVID-19 or the unpopularity of Premier Jason Kenney. So the question that they raise is even with the removal of Kenney, can any future leader, Smith or Gene or Taves uh, be able to hold this party together, given the divisions between urban Alberta and rural Alberta, given the divisions between fiscal conservatives and social conservatives, 
given the differences of libertarians, given the differences between those that want a more ideologically conservative party and those that simply want to win and keep the NDP out of office. Uh, and those are going to remain. In the fall of 2019, so only several months after Jason Kenney wins his majority government, Justin Trudeau and the federal liberals were reelected, albeit with a minority government. But in 2019, the party was wiped out in Alberta, losing all four of its seats and having the lowest liberal vote share in history. Um, Trudeau's re-election sparked a noticeable rise in separatist sentiment in, in Alberta. It created a, a Wexit movement. And so in response, the Kenny government convened a fair deal panel to hold town halls across the province and conduct research on a set of proposals to increase Alberta's autonomy within Canada. The most high profile of those involved a referendum on the federal equalization program an Alberta Tax Collection Agency to replace Revenue Canada, an Alberta Provincial Police Force to replace the RCMP, creating an Alberta Pension Plan and withdrawing from the Canadian Pension Plan. Jared Wesley from the University of Alberta analyzes these efforts to create a fair deal for Alberta. Wesley makes clear that these fair deal proposals didn't come out of thin air, but had been promoted for over 20 years within conservative intellectual circles. Um, and so Wesley discusses the fair deal proposals in broad terms, but Doug King, a criminologist and next door neighbor to me here at Mount Royal, focuses narrowly on one of them, and that is the proposal for an Alberta provincial police force. Despite the fact that significant public opinion polls have shown this to be not very popular, and not just within urban Alberta, but within the various jurisdictions that the police force would operate in. Um, I've had meetings with um, um, the, the municipalities, so small town mayors who are also opposed to this. Nevertheless, there is a cohort within the senior ranks of the UCP, led by Jason Kenney, but also by Casey Madu, and Jason Nixon, who want to replace uh, the RCMP in rural Alberta. And so King goes in to try, try to explain why this disconnect between what the UCP believes that Albertans want and what Albertans actually do want. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't say that our original working title of the Blue Storm was the blue truck. Uh, and that's because Jason Kenney and that blue Dodge Ram truck were important symbols uh, of the 2019 campaign. Um, it, it, uh, and so as a result, we have a chapter entirely part uh, examining the, the, the blue truck and the mythology of the blue truck. The image of Kenny trying to use this with his own personal brand to show Alberta exceptionalism, sovereignty, anti-elitism, and populist homogeneity. Um, but critics never saw the blue truck as a positive symbol. Instead, they saw the symbol 
um, as a reliance about oil and gas, about resource management, about pugilistic politics, uh, and about uh, exclusionary conservative populist values and politics. And in fact, some of the UCP members who voted against Kenny also believe that Kenny was never a true populist, never really drove his truck, and pointed out doesn't even know how to fill the truck with, with gas. Uh, there is a section, of course, on oil and gas policies. Uh, J.S. Rio looks at pipeline policy, and I look at climate policy. It's interesting. My chapter on climate policy shows that there's an awful lot of continuity between the Notley Climate Leadership Plan and the Kenny government. But I show that there is a disconnect between what I call the public Kenny which rails about climate uh, and defends uh, oil and gas policy versus the private Kenny, which has uh, accelerated the coal phase out, that has kept an emissions cap on oil sands production, that prod in a carbon tax for oil sands producers. And so I try to explain why there's this disconnect between the public Kenny and the private Kenny. Because if, if the private Kenny went public, it's actually a good news story on climate policy, but it's a good news story that Jason Kenny, for whatever reason, didn't want people to know about. Uh, we do have a chapter from Brad Clark on the war room um, and uh, how it was used to uh, combat what they saw as misinformation around Alberta's oil and gas sector, but in fact was used to spread misinformation. Um, so much so that the Allen inquiry on environmental groups and foreign funding criticized deliberately uh, the, the war room. And uh, so that's an important piece. Um, the fiscal situation, Trevor Toon, the prominent economist at the University of Calgary, walks through the fiscal situation within Alberta. There was a moment where we were running $20 billion deficits in the heart of the pandemic, where oil prices were actually below zero for a short period of time. Now we're in a situation where there's a balanced budget and there's a projected surplus of well over $10 billion. But what Toome argues is despite the better fortunes of the Alberta economy, we still are not in a situation where we're challenging the over-reliance on resource revenue. The reason that the Alberta fiscal situation has changed is because of massive oil and gas royalties doing to the price of, of uh, the price of oil. And so we remain on that fiscal roller coaster. We're at the peak of the roller coaster now, but only a couple of years ago, we were at the depth of that. And despite um, efforts, uh, neither the uh, government of Notley, neither the government of Jason Kenney, or for that matter, governments over the last 40 years have done anything about changing the over-reliance on resource revenue. Uh, let me go to another one. One of the positive things of the UCP has been around uh, economic diversification as it relates to film and TV production. 
Uh, this is traced by uh, my colleague Richard Sutherland, and he notes in particular the work of Doug Schweitzer, the economic development minister, um, for increasing uh, investment and increasing jobs in film and TV production in the province of Alberta. What is interesting about that is that increase only occurred when the government reintroduced the same tax credits that the NDP did that the UCP initially dropped. So one of the few economic bright lights away from oil and gas was something that the UCP has taken credit for, but only when they brought back the same policies that the NDP had. In our first book, uh, The Orange Chinook, we didn't discuss health care and education, even though that is the primary jurisdiction of the provincial government, because the NDP government never really did anything controversial or novel. That's not the case with the UCP. The UCP set out to make fundamental changes to healthcare, K to 12 education, and post secondary education. One of the first things that they did was commission a blue ribbon panel led by Janice McKinnon um, to provide advice on the province's financing. The McKinnon report laid out a blueprint for restructuring uh, and making reductions in government spending largely with uh, wage rollbacks for teachers, for doctors, for nurses. One of the reasons that Tyler Shandro was removed as health minister was trying to impose wage cuts on doctors and nurses in the middle of a health pandemic. That ended up being stopped, uh, but it showed where the initial instinct of the UCP uh, was. And so we have chapters looking at the initial desire to cut wages of doctors and nurses, and then the decision to backtrack from them. Uh, Charlie Weber, uh, who's an education prof here at Mount Royal, looks at the curriculum changes, uh, as well as the adversarial relationship between the Alberta Teachers Association and the UCP. Almost every aspect of the school curriculum has been criticized. Teachers have criticized it, parents have criticized it, um, school boards have refused to pilot it, they have made some alterations as a result. Nevertheless, there is uh, an effort uh, by uh, Minister LaGrange to push through these curriculum changes. Um, they argue, the UCP argues, that the previous curriculum changes were pure ideological dogma by the NDP but the UCP is using common sense. Uh, but that common sense seems to include widely age inappropriate content, Eurocentrism, and a lack of Indigenous content, particularly around the history of residential schools. And so this, while COVID is simply one storm and maybe the biggest storm during the Kenny years, the school curriculum uh, is another major storm. Uh, and I'll wrap this up with the, the two concluding chapters. One is uh, the only non-Alberta writer, Jonathan Malloy from Carleton University in Ottawa, did a comparison of Doug Ford and Jason Kenney. Back in 2019, Jason Kenney was the most powerful conservative. 
Uh, Doug Ford uh, was seen as secondary to Kenny. And yet it is widely expected today that Doug Ford will win another majority government and will be reelected as premier of Ontario. And Jason Kenney, as we mentioned, has announced his intent to, to resign. And so trying to explain uh, the rise and fall of Kenny with the fall and the rise of Doug Ford is, is a fascinating uh, comparison. And then finally, I'll give the last word to, to Lisa Young, who wrote on COVID. As we said, almost every chapter touches on COVID in some fashion, fiscal policy, education policy, healthcare policy, oil policy, all related to COVID. But we needed a capstone chapter on COVID. And Lisa's thesis is that COVID-19 was a story of two mutually reinforcing failures. The health failure has resulted in over 4,300 dead Albertans, the postponement of tens of thousands of medical procedures, and the overwhelming of Alberta's healthcare system. Most notably, the open for summer where Jason Kenney prematurely announced that COVID was open, dropped health restrictions, provided a disincentive for people to get vaccinated, and then a massive rise in deaths and hospitalizations by September and October of 2021. The political failure was a steady erosion in public support for the Kenney government coupled with the internal caucus strike that threatened the Premier's hold on his office. Um, the UCP caucus uh, is, was split between those who opposed vaccine mandates, who opposed all health restrictions, uh, uh, and on the other hand, those who believe that the Kenny government waited too long to respond and its actions were confusing and incomplete. And Young argues that these twin failures, the health failure and the political failure, is what ultimately ended uh, Kenny's political career. So I promised I'd be done at 12.30. It's 12.33. So under Kenny time, I'm not bad. So we'll open it up for a Q&A now. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Dwayne. Thank you, Dwayne. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. We've got a bit of feedback. I'm just gonna mute your mic. Oh, there we go, that's better. Um, I'm gonna jump right into the Q&A here. Ian Hurdle, will the current oil money windfall be enough to paper over the UCP faults with coal, education, fine money splits, and retaining family doctors? Uh, and that's, that's gonna be the fundamental issue a year from now. The the money did not save Jason Kenney's career. He thought it would. Um, he thought showing a balanced budget, uh, being and giving the the fiscal capacity, for example, for temporarily suspending um, the gas tax, um, so that Albertans have the lowest um, gas prices in in the country by by far, wasn't enough to save Jason Kenney. But money has frequently saved previous governments. It allows them to spend, um, and uh, we'll we'll see if that if that works. Uh, there's going to be a debate during the leadership race what they should do with that surplus. Should this be used to pay down the debt? 
should this be used to put extra funds into education and to health care? Um, should this be sent back to rebates for Albertans, for example, over electricity prices? Um, that's going to be an internal fight within the UCP as part of its race, and it will be an election issue. The UCP is making the case that it's corporate tax cuts, it's getting rid of regulatory uh, red tape, uh, creating a better uh, investment environment, the diversification with film and TV. That is what has led to this budget surplus. The NDP is going to argue, no, it was simply the rise of oil uh, that, that allowed you to do that. So uh, stay tuned. That's going to be the next big debate in Alberta politics. Our next question comes from uh, Knut Peterson. Many thanks, Dwayne, for making time to speak to SACPA again. Do you think Jason Kenney's inability to say sorry for his obvious policy mistakes and to appear somewhat humble is a big problem? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and we saw that on full display in this week's news conference when he was asked if he had any regrets. And he goes, no, he had none. Uh, and that it was the small minority that pushed him out of office. The contrast with Doug Ford is remarkable. Doug Ford screwed up an awful lot on uh, COVID. At one point, he was going to ban children on playgrounds, outdoor playgrounds, and had to reverse himself. But, uh, but Ontarians looked at Ford and go, he's empathetic, he is trying, He'll recognize mistakes, he'll acknowledge he screwed up, and he'll change direction, just like Ralph Klein used to be able to do. But Jason Kenney cannot admit error, and Jason Kenney cannot apologize, and this went through all of COVID. Think about Aloha Gate. First, he was defiant, saying, you know, I take responsibility, but we did nothing wrong, the rules were confusing. Then there was such a public backlash that the government had to apologize, but he didn't apologize. He sent Rick McIver and Tyler Shandro out to apologize. Likewise, with the coal mining proposal in the Rocky Mountains, huge error. Initially, he said, well, it's only urban elites in Edmonton and Calgary that care about that. Well, no, it was rural mayors and country singers and people of all sorts. And so they backtracked. Did Kenny backtrack? No, he sent Sonia Savage out to, to backtrack. So I think the lack of empathy during COVID, the lack of acknowledgement that 4,300 Albertans are dead, um, and, and his failure to ever admit error or apologize, I think that is part of the leadership issue that people had with, with Kenny. Um, and I think the contrast with Doug Ford and Ralph Klein is, is striking. Our next question comes from Laurie Schultz. Thank you for your presentation, Dwayne. Of the candidates who will be running for the UCP leadership at this point, where does each land on the ideological continuum? Are any candidates non-populist? Um, well, of the, of the four, I think they're all populists of some sort. I think if you were to look at the contenders, I think uh, Travis Taves is probably the most establishment conservative. Um, prominent finance minister, never really got into too much scandal like uh, while he was minister. 
I think he's also someone who can try to bridge the rural-urban divide by representing Grand Prairie and doing well in the, you know, the financial sector of, of Calgary. On the other hand, Taves has never been asked about these other issues. Now he's going to be asked, what do you think about school curriculum? What do you think about the responses to COVID? What do you think about Jason Kenney's leadership? Uh, those are all going to be asked of Taves, and I'll be very curious to see what he says. Where he may also get into trouble is the infamous Sky Palace dinner. This was late stages of COVID, where Jason Kenney held a wine and Jameson's whiskey party on the patio of the Sky Palace. And who was surrounding him? Tyler Shandro, Jason Nixon, and Travis Taves. And so Travis had better explain his role in, in that dinner and why he didn't think that was a problem. And finally, the challenge that Taves is going to have is how do you distance yourself from Jason Kenney when Jason Kenney is still the premier and still the leader of the province? Now we've got Brian Jean. Uh, Brian Jean obviously is a former Wild Rose uh, leader, um, got a lot of support during the leadership review because he represented the anti-Kenny forces. But I don't, he's going to have a challenge winning over. Uh, often it's not the person that puts the knife in the leader that becomes the next leader, it's, it's someone else. And Daniel Smith was the predecessor of uh, Brian Jean. Um, I honestly can't believe that she's running. After the floor crossing that she did in December of 2014, I don't think that is something that she can recover from. And not only that, since she left her radio show, she has gotten more and more on the anti-vax, ivermectin, hydrochloroquine, uh, sort of crazy conspiracy stuff around COVID that has a fringe element uh, in Alberta, but there's no way the party will support that. And there's no way Albertans uh, will support that. And now you have Todd Lowen. Uh, you know, Lowen at least is, is a person of principle. He stood up for what he believed in and paid the price by getting kicked out of the UCP caucus. Uh, I think he represents uh, a, a, a rural Alberta constituency to do so. Um, there is an element of the populist movement. He participated in the trucker convoy. He took his camper and went to Ottawa. And so um, I don't think Lowen can win, but he will represent a certain group within the, uh, the UCP party. Where we're not seeing anyone is sort of on the progressive, conservative, more moderate wing of the party. Doug Schweitzer was seen as the leader of that. He announced that he is not running. Let's see if Leela here does or Rajan Sani does. Uh, but at the moment, we don't have anybody who would who would be sort of on that that moderate centrist center right spectrum. They are all various degrees of, of further right at the moment. Our next question comes from Leona Jacobs. I challenged the idea that nothing was done, especially the NDP government, to get rid of the resource royalty roller coaster. As I remarked to Kevin Taves, you can either crash the airplane or you can try to come in for a landing. The smoother path was through putting the pieces in place for diversification with a decreasing but not abrupt reliance on resource revenue. And this in four years versus 40. What are your comments, please? 
Yeah, I, I, and, and that's that's a fair criticism, you know, um, that you know the NDP only had one term in office. They were dealing with a lot of different things, um, but the reliance on resource revenue, I think, is the same today as it was in 20 sec, uh, 2015, as it was prior to 2015. Uh, I think some of the stuff around um, um, the, the early stages of hydrogen, I think, started under the NDP. But if you look at their oil and gas policy, uh, with the exception of the, the carbon tax, which was notable, and as I mentioned, uh, many of those policies have continued, uh, when you look at the macro level, um, overall, much of the policies look look the same. Much of the, the will uh, remain the same. We remain too dependent uh, on oil and gas on oil and gas royalties. They wouldn't bring in, for example, a sales tax. They had an opportunity to bring in a sales tax, uh, like other provinces, which would have given a more guaranteed set of revenue to a government, and that would have avoided this roller coaster. But we remain on the roller coaster. The bad luck the NDP had was that they were at the bottom of the roller coaster. Right now, we're at the top of the roller coaster again. Our next question comes from Knut Peterson. Do you think Jason Kenney will quietly fade into, fade away into the corporate world, or is he likely to stay in Alberta politics or re-enter federal politics? I think the initial plan was him to re-enter federal politics. Um, I think he realized back in 2015 he was not going to be able to succeed Stephen Harper. Uh, I think he realized he didn't want to be on the opposition benches. I think his plan was to come to Alberta, remove the socialists, uh, restore conservatism in the heartland, and then return to Ottawa as the hailing victor and the savior of conservatism and go forward. I don't know how that plays itself out now. I think if you're removed by conservatives in Alberta, it's going to be tough to be the leader of the federal conservatives. Um, I don't know what Jason Kenney's going to do. I mean, this is his personal issue, his personal problem. He is a career politician. Even prior to uh, partisan politics back in 1997, you know, he was working for interest groups. Um, he is a political lifer, doesn't have hobbies, uh, doesn't have family life. Uh, all of his friends are with politics. Uh, he works, has an incredible work ethic, but that's not good for anybody. So here you've got this man in his early 50s. Money's not an issue for him. Uh, but what's he going to do with his time? Um I don't know what, what the man does um, because everything has been driven for so long. And I think he's still going through the grief policy. I, I don't think he's fully recognized that he is on his way out. Uh, and whether he's going to try to hatch a plan to continue to stay as leader, uh, I don't know how that works. Um, but that was a pretty public rebuke he took on May 18th. Uh, to be removed by his own party. This isn't like when Ralph Klein was removed. Ralph Klein, people said, we like you, Ralph. We love you, Ralph. You've been in power for 13 years. It's time to go, Ralph. With Kenny, this occurred three years in. Um, and uh, where does he go next? I don't know. I don't know if he'd be happy on a corporate board. 
Um, I don't know how he gets away from partisan politics. Um, so what does he do? Your guess is as good as mine. Our next question comes from Cheryl Bradley. Does the blue storm consider how the coal policy debacle and cutting parks affected, affected the popularity of the Kenny government? Yes, it did. And, and I would say that was the first real reversal that the UCP had to make. I think it also reflected a lack of knowledge about Alberta. Uh, one of the arguments that I've been making is despite the fact that Jason Kenney represented a Calgary riding for years, he didn't spend a whole lot of time in Alberta. And in fact, I would say of any premier in any province across Canada, Jason Kenney probably spent the least amount of time in Alberta um, before becoming premier. Uh, and uh, as a result of that, his knowledge of Alberta was circa 1994, circa 1995. And the two big examples I'll give is the coal mining. Anyone living in Alberta recognizes how important, symbolically important, uh, the Rockies are to Albertans. And his initial response was to go, it's just urban elites and not grassroots people. No, in fact, it was grassroots people. You saw Defend Our Park signs emerge on lawns throughout the province. Uh, you saw country music artists coming together. You small small town mayors coming together. And uh, so I think that was illustration number one. And the il second illustration was the Sky Palace Dinner. Nobody who lived in Alberta during the Redford years would have dared to have a dinner in the Sky Palace. It simply wouldn't have happened. Um, and so I think those two things are uh, illustrate his lack of knowledge of Alberta and Alberta politics. And that's why asking Travis Taves about why you were at the dinner, because Travis Taves should have known better. Jason Nixon should have known better. Tyler Shandro should have known better. But they, they just do it because the boss told them to. Our next question comes from Trevor Page. What do you think the chances are of the NDP winning the next Alberta election? I think they're good, but the electoral math is not good for the NDP against a unified Conservative Party. 40% um, that they got in 2015 will win you a majority government in a multi-party system. Doug Ford will get about 40% today. He'll form a majority government. But 40% in a two-party system puts you on the opposition benches. Uh, the other challenge the, the uh, NDP have is around the seat distribution. There's 87 seats in, in Alberta. The NDP is widely seen, uh, and they will admit to being an urban party. Well, there's 46 seats in uh, Edmonton proper and Calgary proper. They're going to have to sweep Edmonton, which they will. That gets them 20. If they win uh, 18 seats out of 26 in Calgary, which is really good, you know that puts them up to 38. But to have a functional majority, you've got to have over 50 seats. So where do the other seats come from? You know they have a seat in Lethbridge. They're likely to win the other seat in Lethbridge. Uh, they're going to have to win Red Deer. 
They're going to have to win some of the satellite communities around Edmonton, like Leduc and Sherwood Park and St. Albert. There's going to be a couple rural ridings. Banff Kananaskis, I think, is an area that they could win. Uh, Lesser Slave Lake is an area they can win. But with one conservative party, they have the benefit of most of those rural ridings going their way. They start out with a huge edge. Now, if the UCP splinters, which was uh, if Kenny had survived the leadership review, I think there would have been a splintering of the UCP. If uh, the uh, the leadership race, as I mentioned, the, all those different factions, the potential of the party splitting is still there. If there is some sort of splintering of the UCP, that benefits the NDP even, uh, even more. So you could end up with a scenario where the NDP wins the popular vote but loses the election because of seat distribution. Um, a year is a long time in politics. If the UCP can stay united and Kenny is more in the background uh, and is gone and you've got $10 billion to play with and buy people off with their own money, the UCP could win again. Um, if I was a betting person at this moment in time, my money would be on the NDP, but a year is a long time in politics, and the UCP still has certain advantages. Our next question comes from Leona Jacobs. I think you just touched on it, so given that we have a lot of questions left in the queue, maybe just briefly, do you think that the UCP will hold together given Kenny's resignation? Or will it blow apart given the differences within the party? Yeah, I, I touched on that briefly. I, I think if Kenny had survived, oops, hold on. I've left my door open and now everybody's wandering down the hall. Um, if Kenny had survived the leadership review, there would have been a purge of the party, either voluntarily or being tossed out by Kenny loyalists. Now that Kenny's gone, I think there'll be a pause on the splintering of the party, but it's going to depend what the leadership results are. Uh, whoever wins the leadership is going to represent one wing of the party. Can they bring the other wings to them? Um, so, you know, so Travis Taves, if he was to win, can he hold that party together? Um, I don't think Brian Jean could. I don't think Daniel Smith could. I don't think Todd Lowen could. Uh, I think if Rajan Sani or Leela here go in, they will maybe have the support of the moderates, but they may lose the ideological conservatives. They may lose some of the rural seats. So we'll, we'll see. And there is a tradition in Alberta of conservative parties splintering. Um, so uh, there's still a lot of adventures uh, in the internal conservative movement uh, to happen between now and in a couple months from now. Um, Mark Goodall, there are a lot of comments such as won't vote UCP and never NDP. Who else do you think these voters will migrate to? And do you think this will be a significant number? So one of the, the interesting things with, uh, with conservative voters in Alberta compared to other provinces is when they're unhappy, they do one of two things. One, as I said, they go and form their, their own party, you know, whether it's the Reform Party, whether it's the Wild Rose Party, whether it's the Maverick Party, whether it's the Wild Rose Independence Party. The other is that they stay at home and don't vote. 
We saw this in 2008, where there were a number of conservative voters unhappy with Ed Stelmach. They just didn't vote. We also saw this in the uh, 2021 federal election, where the conservatives in Alberta received 400,000 less votes than they had back in 2019. And so that is a challenge of where they go. There's also a question about where do the old progressive conservatives go? Uh, I think in um, 2019, they stayed with the UCP. Uh, some of them did leave. Some of them may not have voted. Some of them uh, joined the Alberta party, but most of them stayed with the UCP. It's going to depend on who the leadership uh, candidate is, whoever wins, where those moderate old PCers go. Uh, it's amazing how quickly that party disappeared and where their party supporters go. Uh, I know the Alberta party is trying to play the, the center role and saying, you know, you don't need to choose between the NDP and the UCP. We're in the middle. Uh, but so far, they haven't been able to make traction on that. Our next question comes from Leona Jacobs. Reed Travis Tobes, his background with Grand Prairie, the Grand Prairie Bible Institute, and then in brackets, where yep. yoga and witchcraft, not to mention gay rights, were banned as non-Christian, speaks volumes. What are your thoughts? Yeah, and I mentioned that, there, that he has some baggage from his social conservative days. Uh, that never emerged during his time in office, but it emerged prior to that. You're going to hear a lot more of that. Uh, I don't think you're going to hear it within the UCP leadership race, but if he wins, you could very well raise it with the uh, in the general election. The NDP will raise it. After all, in the 2019 election, the NDP raised a lot of issues around the social conservatism of, of Jason Kenney. Uh, in his time in, in San Francisco, for example. It didn't hold at that time. Um, we'll, we'll see. But uh, those, those stuff about the Bible college, that hasn't been major news. But if Taves becomes leader, that will become major news. And, and he's going to have to uh, explain on that. Okay. Knut um, Peterson, the name of Rona Ambrose keeps popping up. Do you have inside knowledge on such rumors? Yeah, every everybody mentions Rona Ambrose, except Rona Ambrose. <laughs> every job that comes open, um, you know, there, she gets uh, her uh, thrown into the mix. She looks perfectly content in, in retirement. I am sure there are people calling her to see if she wants to come in. Uh, but she has dissuaded them and not listened to them. I think she's happy in her in her private life. Uh, and I would be shocked to see Rona Ambrose entering the uh, conservative uh, race. Ian Hurdle, while attending U of San Francisco, he lost a contest with female law students. Has this brought about a degree of anti-feminism to the party? What are your comments, please? Yeah, that um, the stuff about San Francisco, I think, is a really interesting part. I, I think there is a degree of anti-feminism within the within the party. When I mentioned the inner circle of Kenny, it's all men, right? Um, when you looked at that Sky Palace dinner, 
prominent female cabinet ministers like Adriana Lagrange or Sonia Savage, they weren't at that dinner. Uh, you look at the premier's office, all, uh, largely all men as well. So um, I think Kenny surrounded himself with like-minded individuals. And it, it's a stark contrast to Rachel Notley. In fact, we have a chapter in the book, Melanie Thomas writes on the gender dynamics of uh, the, the, the Kenny government. And uh, the blue truck was also a symbolism of, of masculinity, right? And so um, issues around gender is a major divide between the conservatives and, and the NDP, without a doubt. And you see that with voting patterns. Okay, for our last question, Leona Jacobs, where's the Alberta Party in the election mix and where's the Liberal Party? The Liberal Party are almost dead. Um, you know, they, they received less than 1% in the vote in, in uh, 2019. Uh, they don't have a uh, leader. There's an interim leader. I probably couldn't mention that interim leader off the top of my head. Um, the Alberta Party, they're in a tough spot. Because in 2019, they dramatically increased their vote toll to uh, almost 10%. They participated in the leaders' debate, but they didn't have a seat in the legislature. And not having a seat in the legislature really hurts them. Um, the Alberta Party may poll, you know, in the, in the single digits. I don't know if they'll be able to run candidates in all 87 ridings. They are very low in fundraising dollars. Uh, we truly are, at the moment, in case the UCP splits, a two-party system. In fundraising, the two major parties receive over 95% of the money. So I know there's a, uh, uh, Alberta Party people are passionate, they have ideas, they're just stuck, uh, stuck in the middle right now. Um, and it's going to be tough for them to, to, uh, to, to gain traction because they haven't for three years. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Dwayne. Um, fantastic presentation. Thank you so much. Well, when is your book coming out? Do you have uh, academic publishing takes a long time. This isn't journalism. This isn't talk radio. So there's a copy editing process, and then there's an indexing process, and then there's a page proofing process, and then it gets sent to the printers. And so we're looking for January of 2023. Okay. Wow. I look forward to reading it. Um, Dwayne, before we end today's discussion, do you have a take-home message for our viewers? Just what a fascinating political space Alberta is. Uh, it is not dull. It is not boring. Uh, I, there are days I wish it was more boring. Uh, but uh, the adventure is not over yet. Uh, we have, obviously, the leadership race and then a, uh, a major election uh, in less than a year. Right. Well, thanks for joining us again on behalf of SACPA, and thank you for everybody who tuned in today. I hope you'll join us next week with Kathleen Ma, uh, Colonialism and COVID-19, the effects of public health and anti-maskers on vulnerable population. And with that, we'll end the live stream. Thank you.